too big, too small, too thin, not thin enough. We are constantly confronted by cues, messaging and imaging that is always telling us in one way or another that how we are, where we are, how we look, how we're shaped is not good enough. It's clear that evolving our views about ourselves, our bodies, and the entitlement we feel to impose standards for others' bodies is going to require us to dig deeper within ourselves and not outside of ourselves for self-love and self-acceptance. Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Workplace Revolution with me, Sihle Bolani. Today, I'm joined by digital creator, social media strategist, podcaster, and body positive activist, Megan Richards. Megan has, through her website and social media channels, worked to celebrate diverse body types and encourage self-love. She describes herself as an ambassador for feeling beautiful and confident in your body and for being vocal about diverse media representation. She uses social media to speak about the dangers of diet culture and societal norms and how they pressure women in particular to conform to unrealistic beauty standards. Her desire is for women of color to understand their power and truly love and accept themselves as they are right now. Megan, hello and welcome to the Workplace Revolution. Hi, Sifle. It's so lovely to be here. I'm such a big fan of your podcast. Um, So yeah, I'm very excited to uh, chat with you today. Thank you so much. So before we get into the nitty gritty of this conversation, won't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your career, and what has led you to this path of being a body positive activist? Um, So... After school, I decided that I was going to study psychology and I was very fortunate to um, start working in corporate, um, I think it was during my third year. So I started working in HR and um, one of the first jobs, they actually placed me in health and wellness. Um, So I loved, you know, creating events and, you know, creating these really cool um, wellness programs for the staff. And then thereafter, I moved into different parts of HR from training, um, um, yeah, from training to um, recruitment. And so I was working in corporate and obviously within corporate, there are rules. So, you know, they're always encouraging you to think out of the box and to come up with ideas and stuff. But when you present the ideas, um, they kind of tell you, you know, no, you mm. need to um, get back into the box. And mm. I was just looking for a space where I could express my creativity and, you know, where I could just do my own thing. And then I decided to start my own blog. So I thought, you know, it's just this easy thing. You know, you just set up a website quickly and um, you just like put a few things together. But I actually didn't realize there was a lot of work that went into it. You know, there's a lot of work in establishing establishing a brand. And then I think after a couple of weeks, I decided, that's it, I'm going all in, I'm starting a blog, I'm calling it The Authentical, and it's just going to be um, a lifestyle blog where I can, you know, share adventures, um, travel stories, food and wine, etc., etc. And um, through my my blogging journey and, and my freelance journey as well, I started to see that, you know, women of color and... Um, certain body types weren't really celebrated because in my own journey, you know, I always felt as if I needed to diet, I needed to change my body. So these were things I was struggling with. Mm. And 
through my journey of discovering the body positive movement, um, radical self-love, and most recently, um, anti-diet culture, I just decided that I choose a niche that's really passionate or sorry, that's close to my heart. Um, and so I decided that I would focus on body positivity, um, self-love, and, you know, just speak about the dangers of diet culture. And so that's where I am today. I still work as a freelancer. Um, I've actually left HR and corporate. Um, I work as a freelancer in digital marketing, but then I also have um, my social media pages that you know, focuses on body positivity. And, you know, I just I try to bring up uh, certain issues and topics um, in and around the movement. Mm. What, I mean, we there's so many different causes and, 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 and initiatives that we're seeing uh, being promoted and being advanced, um, particularly on social media platforms, which every now and then has some spillage into traditional media platforms. Um, but at the root of these causes is always um, oppression of some sort. There's, yeah. there's, there's always some sort of restrictions that have been very harmful, um, that have suppressed the voices of people who fall within those groups that now have to create campaigns and projects and initiatives and hashtags. Um, to be able yeah. to gain visibility and to make their voices heard. Why, what do you think are some of the reasons uh, that lie at the root of needing to establish um, body positive movements? So the movement was started for black bodies. The movement was started for fat bodies. The movement was started for trans bodies, bodies of different physical capabilities. That is the, the core beliefs behind the movement. I mean, this movement was started for bodies that are not represented in the media. I mean, it's marginalized bodies that are often, you know, kind of like hidden away and mm -hmm. they don't have any visibility. They're not seen. Um, so the body positive space was created for um, these bodies to understand or these individuals to understand that they are worthy of love they are worthy of respect and they are worthy to be seen and so i think it's it's a very important um, movement and it's really amazing to see this movement the way it's evolved over the last um, couple of years but sometimes when i look at um you know who's at the forefront of this movement i don't necessarily see the bodies that i just mentioned you know mm. sometimes we still seen um, bodies or people with Eurocentric features. And while there's nothing wrong with that, because, you know, the movement promotes the body or the message that all bodies are good bodies, there's absolutely no wrong way to have a body. But I'm not seeing enough trans bodies, fat bodies, black bodies, um, disabled bodies. And that kind of like, sometimes it makes me very frustrated and I feel sad because even though we are moving in the right direction and we are making progress, um, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Mm. You know, it's interesting because when you think about the work that needs to be done from a social justice perspective in terms of establishing some sort of equity and equality in different spaces, if you look at it from a race perspective, um, yeah. you know, the we still are in a space where many of the people who are the highest paid, who are considered thought leaders, 
um, who get booked for for events to speak, who have the highest yeah. levels of visibility, are people who actually aren't the ones who suffer as a result of racial marginalization. Um, yeah. And so it's interesting to see that, you know, across the board, regardless of what the movement is seeking to address, those issues find themselves in a way representation is not reflective of society in the way that it should be. Yeah. How do that you think true. we can address that? I'm sorry, Sikha, can you just repeat the last bit? How do you think we can address that? Oh, um, I think it's important for... I think it's important for us to have diversity at every single level, especially in the um, decision-making process. Mm. So let's say, for instance, a brand wants to, um, you know, incorporate self-love or body positivity into um, their um, current marketing campaign. Mm. You have to ask yourself, is there diversity in that decision-making process? You know, um, are black voices being heard? Or is it safe for those black voices um, to be heard? So that when we make these decisions and we get body positive activists, um, you know, ambassadors, or we get um, influencers for a campaign, just as an example, that those bodies that I mentioned earlier are represented in that campaign because those are the bodies the movement was started for. And it's very sad to see that sometimes, you know, we're not seeing enough of that. We're not seeing enough diversity. And um, yeah, I just I just feel like we really not seeing enough diversity in this movement. Mm. One of the other challenges that often pops up when we are having conversations about specific movements um, where we are fighting for equality or for justice um, or for the acknowledgement um, of the way in which society has treated marginalized groups, there always tends to be various distractions that come into play to diverge from the real conversation that needs to be had. So when we're speaking about, for instance, Black Lives Matter, um, mm. you've had people coming in saying, it's all lives matter. What about other <laughs> lives? What about blue lives? <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, when we, when, when, you know, there was hashtag, uh, men, what men are trash. Mm. Um, it's not all men, right? Yeah. What are some of the whataboutisms that you have come across when it comes to the body positive movement? How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. So I'll just take one example and, you know, speak about, um, you know, people will say things that like obesity is bad or it's bad to be overweight. And I always say that, you know, you can't look at someone's body and say that, because you are a certain shape, a certain size, that means that you are unhealthy because size and weight, there's no correlation. And if you look at like the the history of the BMI, for instance, there's so much, um, it's actually rooted in racism because the BMI was started by a um, European man that wasn't even a a health expert. He wasn't a doctor or anything. He was... um, he studied astrology, maths, and statistics. Mm. And so he was kind of like trying to form the perfect body. He was trying to create this ratio of 
you know, combining your your height and your weight and kind of like, you know, from the establishing the ideal body type. Mm. So what he did in his data is he collected data from white European men. And I mean, that in itself is problematic because in, um, in this day and age, many health and wellness um, companies or insurers still use the BMI as a means to... Um, measure health and wellness so Mm. you know it's how on earth are we supposed to um compare or measure health by looking at someone's body shape or size i mean i've met women who are double or triple my size and they are so fit and they're making decisions that really nourish their body Mm. so there is no correlation between um health and and size or your health and your body shape and, um, you know, this is like one of the many, many issues we, we faced in this movement. You know, every single day on social media, there is um, a body positive activist, a fat activist, or anyone just like, you know, going on social media, posting a picture of themselves in a cute outfit, and they're not speaking about their body weight or their shape. And someone will say, oh my goodness, you're promoting obesity. They're not even promoting obesity. They just posted a picture of themselves mm. in like a cute location in a really nice um, outfit. So this industry, like there's so many challenges that we need to overcome. There's so much education and awareness that needs to happen. Like many people actually don't know that for it, like the BMI that I mentioned was not created for all ethnicities and all identities. Mm. It was um, based on, on the science and the data that was collected for white European men. So how am I, a black South African woman, supposed to compare my um, BMI to some, to some data that wasn't even really created for me? Mm. So there are many, many challenges that we face um, in this industry. And sometimes it feels as if like, are we ever going to see change? You know, it can mm. become very frustrating. Mm. But I guess we, we all have to do something. Yeah. You you know, you're something very interesting because what has been so, so clear and, you know, I, I feel like it, it actually gets progressively worse is the othering of um, bodies that don't conform to these european standards of what health and fitness and and well desirability and i put that in you know quote marks uh should be um when i think about how many times i've seen women who are not uh who do not uh, subscribe or do not meet these conventional societal standards uh post a picture of themselves and it's like oh i need your confidence what? Mm. Oh, I get so annoyed. What do that. you mean? Yes. I'm literally just existing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, the comment that always gets me is, oh my goodness, you are so brave for wearing a bikini. Mm. Like, you know, the medical professionals fighting the coronavirus, the, the health workers, the essential workers, those people are brave. It's not a brave thing to, to wear a bikini or, you know, to post a picture of yourself Um on social media Mm. that's not brave it's just a normal thing because that's another reason why the body positive movement was started was just to challenge these unrealistic beauty standards Mm. because many times our bodies are placed in this hierarchy of power and desirability so things that um 
affect that position could be your race, um, you know, your gender, um, your shape, your size. Um, so all of that kind of like plays a part in, in forming these unrealistic beauty standards. But I really think we need to stop telling people they're brave or compliment them on how powerful they are mm -hmm. just because, you know, they, they post in a picture of themselves. That's not brave. It's just a normal, it's a normal act. Mm. It's not an act of bravery. Mm. You know, one of the things that I find so interesting, um, just about, you know, um, society as a whole, um, is that we will, as people who are black, people who are of color, will understand that white supremacy exists and it has infiltrated so many different areas and aspects of our lives. It influences so many of the things that we're exposed to, whether it's access to medical care, access to finances, or, you know, uh, economic participation. Um, we understand that for the most part. We understand the impact that it has had on the LGBTQIA plus community, as well as um, people living with disabilities. We understand how it comes into play. But all of a sudden, when it comes to body shapes, sizes, weights, abilities, we are confused about what has influenced the standards and the beliefs that we hold about what is healthy and what isn't, and what is acceptable and what isn't. That is, that is true. I mean, um, I always speak about this example, like when you walk into a garden, for instance, and someone is doing a guided tour, they will speak about the diversity, the plants, the trees, um, different, um, different uh, specimens of you know, plants, they'll speak about, you know, which one needs more sunlight, which one needs more shade. And so in all aspects of nature, diversity is celebrated. But yet when it comes to the human body, that's where it stops. Mm -hmm. Somehow we're all supposed to aspire to the same body type or the same shape. And just as a side note, body types or body, uh, body shapes actually um, changes. So there's trends in, in body types as well. So right now it's kind of like um, that slim, thick uh, body type that's quite trendy. Mm. So it's very interesting to see that in all aspects of, of nature, you know, we, we celebrate diversity um, and it's something we are we're so proud of. You know, we brag about the fact that there are, you know, so many um, birds, but yet when it comes to body types, it's not celebrated. And it takes a lot of learning, relearning and unlearning to get to a point where you can actually celebrate diversity. I mean, when my journey started in body positivity, and that was um, through me discovering the body positive movement. And it was also through um, belly dancing. Those were like two crucial factors that, you know, influenced my thinking and just got me to rethink. Mm. Because I saw these, you know, these voluptuous, these confident woman dancing with so much grace and poise and I was like I was just blown away like to this day I still get goosebumps when I think about the first time I saw these um you know these beautiful voluptuous belly dancers just um dancing so confidently on stage and um it was through you know me being exposed to diverse body types um, that I started to, you know, reshape my thinking, you know, I started to think like, what is healthy, you know, because I'm engaging with these women who exercise, 
regularly. Mm. Um, they make decisions that you know nourish their body. They looking after themselves on a physical, a spiritual, and emotional level, and they don't necessarily fit that norm where they are a size six or eight. Mm. They're size sixteen. And also through discovering the body positive movement, I started to see, you know, different body shapes, different um, body types all being celebrated. But it wasn't like a magic wand that was just like bestowed on me and then my thinking changed. It was through um, the body positive movement. It was through, you know, seeing these diverse dances that I started to challenge my thinking. And it's taken many, many years for me to, you know, unlearn and relearn um, what it means to, you know, to be healthy or what it means to, you know, celebrate your body. Because for so many years, I really struggled with that concept. In my mind, I thought that I needed to diet, I needed to aspire to have this um, body type, and then I'll be healthy and happy. But the reality is that when I reached that um, body goal or that body weight, I wasn't always doing things that was healthy, mm. you know. Some days I would not eat solid foods for up to five days because I was mm. doing like a juice, fa- a juice fast with detox. Mm. And so in that period, you're basically just having um, liquids. Mm. Um, so you kind of like have to ask yourself then what is healthy because we can't always um, look at a body type and say, okay, because you are size eight, mm. um, you are healthy. And yeah. because you are size 20, you are unhealthy or you're gross or you're lazy. There's a lot of stigma that comes with having a, a bigger body as well. So um, this movement and, and the issues or the challenges we find around this movement is very um, it's very difficult because it's so complex and there mm. are many, many um, areas that we need to educate and create awareness. I mean, just yesterday I spoke about how economic privilege can also affect your body size or your body shape. Mm. So people in certain positions of privilege have better access to um you know, to really good food or nourishment. They can attend these world-class gym where, you know, they have state-of-the-art um, equipment. Um, and so obviously that will also affect their body shape and sizes. Mm. But if you think about, um, if I think about the woman that I grew up around, if I think about, you know, the women in like these colored communities, some of them are single moms. Um, they don't even have the luxury of like, 40 minutes to themselves during the day because they don't have support from the fathers. You know, they're working to make ends meet. Um, when they come home from work, they need to look after the kids. They need to clean. They need to cook. They need to help with homework. So they don't have, like, the luxury of just going for a walk, you know, for an hour or so. That's not an option. So those economic factors also influence or impacts their body shape and size so mm-hmm. this like i said these issues are very complex you can't just look at a body shape and and make an assumption because there are many many factors um that influence our bodies mm. now we've seen this fitness and health industry evolve <laughs> quite extensively over the years um mm. we have seen it grow from being aerobics when we were younger aerobics on tv yeah. as part of the news <laughs> in yeah. the morning and everybody would be working out in front of the tv that was a thing 
and then yeah. it grew into these now um, fitness uh, experts were now c- creating and developing DVDs and VCRs with their fitness programs that you could then buy um, and then work out at home or go to the gym. And now we're finding that fitness um, professionals are constantly working to, to develop new ways to provide access to fitness content. But also the other side of it is around the evolution of what is considered good food versus bad food and the language mm. around all of that i mean yeah. in 2020 the 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 global gym industry was estimated to be almost 98 billion us dollars yeah um and you know it's seeing how much money goes into the industry tells you a lot about the state of us as a global society when it comes to our image of self um, and the pursuit of what is ideal or what is the goal, goal body, goal, whatever it is. Now we are dealing with the issue of juice cleansers every every other day. Uh, We're dealing with flat tummy teas. You know, there's so many things that have become part of diet culture. What are some of the some of the ones that stand out for you and what are some of the dangers of diet culture that we may underestimate? Diet culture is very powerful because what it does is it uses language to categorize food. So you'll notice there are categories of good versus bad food. And very often you'll see labels like clean food or, you know, um, this can be used to detox. And then other things will be called bad food. And there's there's all kinds of terms um, given to it, like guilty pleasure Mm. or cheat meal or cheat um, day. So language is very powerful. And diet culture is very sneaky. Like these people are exceptionally smart i understand that there's a new movement right now where people are becoming very much aware of the harmful effects of diet culture and so what they're doing is they're just changing the language so many times you'll hear someone saying no i'm not on a diet it's just a lifestyle plan Mm. but we always need to remember that any form of restriction is a diet Mm. if you are restricting yourself in any kind of way, whether you're restricting carbs, sugar, gluten, you know, so many things, Mm. it is labeled or classified as a diet. So um, what I think is important is to, you know, follow, um, try to look into something like intuitive eating, you know, that's basically teaches us that, you know, food is just food. There's absolutely no need to label the food. Mm. There's no need to categorize the food. We just need to become aware of you know how our bodies react to certain um, food groups Um, we need to become aware of um, what is good for our bodies in terms of nourishment Mm. but um, like I mentioned previously diet culture is very sneaky Um, it kind of like filtrates into different areas and most people aren't even aware of it so Mm. you know there's a new trend right now I saw on um, um, this very well-known health uh, publication. So they call it intuitive fasting. So they are aware that people are looking into different methods of eating because dieting doesn't work. Mm. It's actually proven 95% of diets 
don't work and there are absolutely no long-term um, benefits. Mm. So what Thai culture has now done is they kind of like, you know, playing around with the wording. And so they're introducing concepts like um, intuitive fasting, where you fast for long periods, you basically restrict yourself. I think you're only allowed water and um, I think black coffee. But I mean, those... Um, eating habits aren't good for you and mm. I mean it, it actually creates an um, a culture where you know you're obsessing about food and things and later on you could actually start binge eating or it can trigger an eating disorder so there are many harmful effects related to diet culture and we really have to be aware of um you know, how it impacts our lifestyle and how it like sneaks into, you know, this messaging, even on, on social media, through fitness, through wellness, through mm -hmm. health. So, you know, just become aware of the terms that they are using. It's actually, um, I saw this really scary stat the other day. They basically said that in the year 2027, the global weight management industry will be worth 423 million sorry not million billion dollars mm. so it's profitable for people to feel insecure about their bodies mm. because they are obviously people making money from this if you accept yourself and you love yourself as you are right now um and you just tell yourself you know what there's actually no need for me to go on a diet mm. or there's no need for me to wear shapewear mm. or um, there's no need for me to go onto this detox or this cleanse because actually that is the role of your liver and your kidney it mm. can it detoxes your body there are processes in your body that happens every single day um, to get rid of toxins there's no need to actually go on a detox mm. so people just have to become more aware of diet culture and I think that's why you know the work around the body positive movement is so important because it's very strongly related to anti-diet culture mm. and radical self-love mm. and so um yeah, the, this movement is very important just to create awareness around these things. And it's it's quite powerful to see the conversation happening, the content being produced, and how more and more people are, um, you know, just becoming aware of what's happening around them. Mm. Now, it can be very difficult to live in a world where all of the cues that you're exposed to um, are about an ideal or a body size or a body shape um, that is very particular and very curated that does not reflect you as an individual. And all of these factors um, play a role in terms of how you perceive yourself, how you, how you, how you view or measure your own attractiveness, I guess, or how you feel about yourself. Um, for, you know, if you're going on social media, if you are watching content on TV, uh, if you are picking up a magazine, there's a very clear idea of what is considered attractive, what size you need to be, um, what shape you need to have. And, you know, I, I'm always just so fascinated by this idea that you must have a sizable bust, a teeny, teeny, tiny, tiny little waist, um, but you must be curvy as well. But also you must have very tiny thighs. And I'm just like, how on earth does this mathematics even add up <laughs> in the first yeah. place? But these are the cues that we're exposed to on a daily basis. And it can be very difficult for people 
to be able to come to a place where they are very clear about who they are, about what their shape is, and to embrace it, and to embrace the body that they have and that they and yeah. celebrate it. So what are some of the ways in which we can begin to really start questioning and evolving the beliefs that we hold around bodies and shapes? So one of the first things I always encourage women to do, just go through your social media accounts and do a mini social media audit. So we spend so much time on social media on our devices and what we see really does impact us. It has a strong influence in the way that we view our bodies. So mm. one of the first things you can do is just go through the accounts that you follow in and look at those accounts. Make sure that your body is being represented in a positive light where there's no talk around changing your body. There's no talk around um, diet culture, but the accounts you follow in are just people you know, having fun in their bodies, they're confident in their bodies, they have a, pod a positive body image. That is so important because um, when I was growing up, for instance, I only saw, you know, magazines where um, women or anyone in that, in, it wasn't only women, but most of the models and the content that I saw were people who had Eurocentric features. Mm -hmm. And so that impacted um, the way I thought, you know, a healthy body is someone that's, you know, tall or, you know, lean. And when I discovered body positivity, I quickly realized that, you know, that's not necessarily the case. You know, if we were all following the same diet, if we were all doing the same workouts, we would still have diverse body types because we are just created diff differently. So I think that um, we need to show diversity in the media. We need to show diversity in publications. We need to celebrate diversity online in the digital space as well. So if you're trying to embrace diversity, just look through your accounts and um, make sure that you see your body type, make sure that you see diversity. That is so important. And if I can make a suggestion, unfollow any accounts that you know, is constantly speaking of diet culture or constantly speaking about, you know, speaking or moaning about, you know, losing weight or, you know, problem areas in their bodies because that does influence you. So I think mm -hmm. that's one of the first things that you can do, but it, it has a very, very big impact in the way you see your body. Mm, absolutely. Now, we're part of a very large national and global um society right we're a community particularly because of social media and we yeah. share so much of ourselves and with each other on social media um aside from telling reminding people to mind their business <laughs> what are the other ways in which we can filter ourselves and our instincts to respond in ways that are harmful towards um bodies that are normal bodies like everybody else's but that are bigger or fatter or not shaped in a particular way that don't have the coca-cola bottle situation going on yeah how can we begin to be conscious about how we are contributing harm towards um, this community 
Well, I think that, you know, body shaming in any form, it's never okay. Mm. I always look at people who just say things like, oh my goodness, you're so fat or um, you're so unattractive. Why don't you go work out? I'm always amazed at how someone would just say that to a complete stranger. I've had people say it to me in my face as well. So it doesn't only happen in... um, in the um, online space, but it happens offline as well. Mm. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen because we are constantly comparing ourselves to these unrealistic beauty standards. Mm. So most people have this body ideal or this um, image of what a perfect body looks like. And so anything that um, deviates from that body shape or that body size would be classified as unhealthy Mm. and, um, you know, it just gives this person the confidence to just comment on someone else. And I just want to encourage um, anyone listening by saying that it's never okay to comment on somebody else's body unless they come into you and they're speaking to you and they, you know, raising certain concerns and it's safe for you to, you know, to speak about these things then you can share your opinion, but it's never okay to just go and, you know, say to someone, um, you're fat or you need to work out or should you really be eating that? Or is it necessary to go for a second helping? You know, these are, these are actually different forms of, these are different forms of body shaming and it's never, ever okay to comment on anybody else's um, body. Just keep quiet, mind your own business and keep it moving. Mm, Absolutely. Now for people who would love to learn more about the body positive movement and would like to connect with you online, Megan, where can they find you? Uh, They can search for The Authentic Girl. Um, That's uh, my handle will come up. I um, am body positive Meg on Twitter, but if you search for The Authentical, um, it will come up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. I, I, I really think that there's just so much that we need to unlearn um, as, as, as a society, but also just individually. Uh, because even when I think about myself um, having come to a place where I'm so much more conscious about um, all the different parts of me and having to question uh, why I hold certain beliefs. So if I have gone through a stage where I've thought, oh, this is coming up, I need to lose a f- two kilos. I'm mm. now able to be like, wait a second, what's feeding that? Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. is it? Where am I getting that, that cue that says that I need to lose these two kilograms to attend an event? Yeah. I mean, um, these thoughts never actually end. Mm. I mean, even as a body positive activist, sometimes I also struggle um, with a negative body image. It never really stops. But these days, I'm like you said, I'm able to, um, you know, think about or just kind of like evaluate or do an audit to, you know, recognize where are these thoughts coming from? Did I see something? Did I see an ad? Did I see someone speaking negative about their body? Did I hear something? Or was I or was I present in a conversation where everyone was moaning about, you know, mm. how much weight they've gained over lockdown? Mm. So it's very important to analyze and see, you know, where, where is this coming from? Mm. Um, and then thereafter, you can make um, the relevant changes. And I think it's, it's important to have um, 
positive affirmations regarding your body. Um, it's important to journal, read as much as you can. This movement is so powerful. There are many activists online. There are some really amazing books out there, podcasts, um, content on YouTube, all mm. over. And um, yeah, just, just make sure you make decisions that's for you and only you. And that's not necessarily, um, you know, a comparison to what you should do, mm. who you should be, or what your body should look like. Absolutely. Megan, thank you so much for this conversation. And I look forward to seeing more of the amazing work you will be doing as part of this movement. Thank you so much for having me. I think I've always told you I'm such a big fan of your podcast and it's it's a real honor to be here and I'm just obsessed with the work that you're doing and um, the transformation that you're encouraging. I mean, these conversations are very important and I'm, I'm really a huge fan of your work. Thank you so much.